So yeah, they do. Favorite. They do tend to go. I, I, I also love. Although often difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. There's somebody back east who started. He used to send them out as an email, um, sending out the svasamases that connect to something in that week's parsha. So we have the book. And we have a, a book that a soft it. cover. He hasn't printed it yet. Well, this is a different book. It's a hard cover. It's one of those. In English or in Hebrew? It's in Hebrew. It's red. About this thing. Right. And it's on the weekly Parsha. Right. So the traditional one is like that. Right. But they're in order of years that oh. he said them, which can make it a little hard to find things. Oh. That's if that's the traditional one. We this is volumes. these are arranged in order of these are arranged even if they weren't from that parsha. Mm -hmm. If they reference a Pasuk from the Parsha, mm. he'll bring it also. So they're they're very thick. Because they're huge right now, they're in a draft form. They're eight and a half by elevens, and they're this thick because so there's a lot of multiplication. So he he actually put it online. He stopped sending them out. He's now collated all of Bracious and Shmos together. They need you know proper proofreading, but they're very very good. But what's helpful is not only that, but he has them in light of the Rashi's and occasionally mm -hmm. the Balhaturim's because I did not realize this, but Sasamis is generally commenting or adding on to a Rashi. Mm. Which I did not was not aware of. So he brings the Rashi. He brings the Pasuk. He brings the Rashi. Sometimes the Balaturim. And then the Swasemes grouped according to which part of the Rashi it's kind of pointing to. Wow. And sometimes you'll get like duplication, like three or four passages that are kind of reiterating something that I once said before kind of thing. But you understand it much better because you now see him say it three different ways mm. or three different aspects of it. And since Swasemes wow. can be very difficult, it's actually very helpful. So okay. what is the... Um... I don't remember what it's called. The link. I don't remember what it's called, but if, if you email me, I'll send it okay. to you. Even if you don't email me, I'll try, but okay. I can forward it to you. He posted Bracious and Schmoes in somewhere, so you can you can download either just the PDF or you can have it printed and buy it that Like I did that. I actually printed them up. Wow. So I like them on Chavez. Okay. So we ended last week, really, with this concept from the Chidushe Harim. Um, which was when a person hands over his life that's literally like the definition in Kriyashma it's considered as if it was an actual deed in reality it's like you know completely real well, it's not that it's, it's, they're, in a way he could have said any one of those three so really what he's saying is like you really 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 did it right. for real so Ach, it's, nigh, action, it's an actual really did it right. even though you were just sitting in a comfortable chair at home right. Ach, but it's on condition that he has no sins right we, we talked about this was last week mm -hmm. but it's the beginning of this week because then it's as if he was as a korban meaning you're saying you're declaring you're declaring that it's only Hashem right we haven't talked about that in great depth but that there's no other God there's no other force there's no even Hashem himself is only one is unified and you're doing that as a korban because at the same time you're saying I happily give over my life to this, to the declaration that Hashem is one. 
So it's really a korban. Like the Akedah of Yitzchak Avinu. Aval, however, yeah, Rav Hirsch on the on the Akedah is pretty awesome. Aval imyesha love avon, but if he has upon him sin, so just like a korban can't have a mum in its body, so then he has a mum in his spirit. Then he would be puzzle, he would not be suitable to put onto a mizbeach, so we would not consider that a karban. So therefore, a person needs to give over his life with a full mouth, meaning absolutely wholeheartedly, really meaning that, not just saying it, because then he won't have any mum, meaning he's trying to give over his life, or I'm trying to give over my life, at the same time I won't have any mum, any deficit, because then in that moment, before I give up my life for, for Hashem, I've also, I've, I've, I'm forgiven. Because of the fact that I'm giving over my life. So the Kiddush Hashem itself kind of, and then it's a, it's a kapara. It forgives the sins, be'emes, for real. Rega kodemisaso, a moment before that, the death of uvechol nafshecha. Because when the forgiveness is that close to the deed, azu karban kasha, then he's definitely a kosher karban. That, that the closeness of it, and we said that's also why a person would say Shema right before they really die. It's not that you wouldn't try to achieve that level throughout your life, mm-hmm. but when there's no gap in between, there's no opportunity to mess up again. Well, it also makes sense why you say it at night before you go to sleep. And night before at you night go, is when yeah. you're doing the accounting of what happened during the day. Yeah. So it's, it's Ke'ilu, you have like an eat rat zone and... I like that. A moment to do tshuva before you go to sleep because I like that. it takes away your neshama and cleans it for you and sends it back to so you. So it's a moment morning. before a little mini death also. Right. Like it's, you're saying both. You're saying right. really it's like the moment of tshuva from the day right. and also a moment where it's before death of the sleeping in the night. And when you wake up in the morning, it's a fresh start, right. which is a different kind of, that's very interesting. Which is why I think okay. the chasma of saying, you know, go to bed and sleep on it, you know, things will look different in the morning. Like that's such a tremendous chesed from Hashem that when we go to sleep and we have that renewal and we wake up in the morning, things do look different yeah. by the light of it. It's amazing that they actually do. Right? It's not just that you push it off. There's new meaning to that whole. You know, yeah. Okay. Okay, so Rav Schwab brings, and he's, he's citing the Gemara. I'm a Rabbi Mani. Rav Mani said, Lo sehei kriyashma kala be'inecha. Kriyashma should not be unimportant. That's not on the... No, unimportant in your eyes. Okay. You know why Kriyashma shouldn't be, like, not insignificant to you? It has 248 words. Which is the same number of organs within a person. It's like, really means... We say limbs, but I think it's really avarim. It's like internal organs mm-hmm. more. Okay. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's Hashem says. That's because you call a fetus an ubar. And oh, that's interesting. That's with an ayin. Right. Right. Because the ibarim are. Oh, that's cool. But it's like related somehow. Mm-hmm. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, Im shamarta esheli, if you keep what is mine, like protect what's mine, likros kriyashma kisikna, to read kriyashma as it was established, ani eshmor shalcha. 
I'll watch over you and yours. So Hashem is saying, if you watch over the 248 words of my mitzvah of Krishna, I'll watch over the 248 parts of your body. Did you see that video that Yoel Gold, Rabbi Gold, sent out? Where Rivka, A new one? Rivka Sack is the speaker. No. Oh my gosh. It, it's a story. It'll give you goose pimples when you, when you listen to it. There was a, a, an idea of soldier who grew up in Texas, but his family moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they befriended, the, they became friendly with the Jesmers, Rivka's family. Yeah. And she was his babysitter. And one night he was afraid to go to sleep or she was going to sleep and because she was from girls, so she taught him the Shema. He had no Yiddish kite. His parents were totally, totally secular. He knew nothing. He never went to Hebrew school for Good morning. Good morning. And then all of a sudden, um, I don't know, he ends up in the IDF. Oh no, he was in the American army. And his tank was being bombed. And he was not a religious person. He didn't know anything of what to do, except he said the Shema. Oh and as gosh. he said the Shema, and he was putting his head down, put it because he knew how to put his hand over his eyes, the thing went over him. It hit him in the arm instead of in the eye. And Yoel Gold did this whole thing. Oh I'll send you gosh. that. And he talks about the protection of, of wow. Kriyat Shema. And now the funny part is he became from, but how did he become from? He ended up going to Israel to yeshiva because he realized that Hashem had a purpose in his life. He walks into yeshiva, and who's the Rosh Yeshiva? Rivka's brother. I'm telling you, it's like such a story. Wow. Just seeing the protection. Maybe Hashem will reach out and just save somebody. (laughs) And now he's married from kids, you know, whatever. Wow. Yeah, okay, just, so I guess no. that's what this Kamara is talking about. You never know the protection that's <laughs> you, you watch out for my words of Shema, and I watch out for your body. Right. Okay. Now remember, we're talking about willingly giving over the body to him. So it's reminiscent a little of like, right? Like my candle's in your hand, I'll hold your candle for you, right? right? Your spirit, your soul for you. Now, there really are 245 words in Shema. I, I've counted them also to check on this, but there are actually other people did it well before I did. So where do we get to 248? 248, by the way, is also the Gematria of Avraham. This is something I talked about in the Shabashir. And, and the, it's very interesting when the, extra five, when the extra five is added to his name, because he's 243, right? And Hashem adds a hey, which is five. So... Um, there's one approach, I'm trying to think where I saw this, it might have been Svas um, that says that it's, this is the five Avarim, that there's, there's a whole thing of a person has five organs that he's supposed to control, and five organs that you don't entirely have control over, even if you think you do, like your eyes, let's say, because things can come in when you weren't expecting it. You know, you could be looking at a blank wall and suddenly... Somebody projects some horrible image on the wall, right? So there's a certain passive nature to the eyes where stuff will just go in no matter how careful you are. So there's, kind of, there's that, and then there's like speech where you're supposed to be the one who guards it, 
right? And Hashem doesn't just guard your speech for you. You have to take care of it. So there's these like different groups of organs that Hashem said to Abraham, you know what? Even the organs that I control and you don't have control over, I'm going to give you control over because the other 243 you've already done perfectly. You have total control over yourself. So I'm going to give you the other five. It's like a very interesting, like this, this connection between 248 and the parts of the body and that sort of representing the whole in terms of action, in terms of what we do for Hashem. Right, 248 is the number of positive mitzvos. It's not the number of negative mitzvos. It's the number of positive mitzvos. It's the actively doing for Hashem that we do with this body that he's given our soul to use for now. Right, we talked about it as the extension of the self in the same way that a spoon is an extension of your hand and your will. Your body is really the extension of your neshama and its will. Okay, so we add, this is the fundamental principle. This is like the basic thing is, Shema is 248 letters according to the Gemara, and yet when you count it up, even including Baruch Shem, it's 245. So we add, that is why we add either Hashem Elokeichem MS is repeated by the Chazen at the end, or if you're not with a Chazen, you say Kel Melech Ne'eman beforehand, and that brings you to the 248. Okay, don't, we're going to explore this a little more, because then you say, okay, but why those? And why not the same thing? Why is it one thing sometimes and one thing another? Right? That's like kind of... Okay. So this is, I don't know exactly, oh, from Rav Schwab, I guess. Um, cites the Zohar, the Zohar Chadash. Amar Rabbi Nechemia, Amar Rabbi Nehorai. Rabbi Nechemia said in the name of Rabbi Nehorai, Asvasa levarnash b'hai alma b'chol yoma. Um... Oh, now I can't remember what Aswasa means. I really know what it means. I think it means healthy. Mandakara Kriyashma Altikuneha. A daily remedy, yeah, for a person in this world is regular and timely reading of Shema. It is a healthy thing for a person in this world every day that he'll read Shema according to how it was established, meaning regularly and timely. How, how Shema is established is not just the words, which are in the Torah, but that you say it morning and night and that you say it in the proper time, not too early at night and not too late in the morning. Okay, so Rav Schwab says this means that saying Shema properly is a remedy for doubts that a person may have concerning the veracity of the existence of Hashem or Torah and Hashemayim. So if a person is having doubts and they're struggling with that, and it's not that you want to, but that's just where it is, then saying Shema morning and night regularly and in the proper time is a cure. That's the medicine. So how is it the medicine? He says, because it said here, it's healthy for a person. It's a cure for a person. Now, granted that based on that first Gemara, it basically sounds like it's a Rafua San Haguf. It was talking about the body, right? But he says, when we daven for someone's health, it's that we don't just daven for their body. Because, like, what would that even mean? We know, like, that person can be in a vegetative state, right? They could be alive. Their body could be healthy. But that doesn't mean that their, like, psyche is intact. So we daven always for refuas hanefesh or refuas haguf, <coughs> which reminded me that I was davening today for fegel abas kittel. And be healthy and well. She's having surgery today. That we also always daven refuas hanefesh and refuas haguf. Refuas hanefesh even before refuas haguf. So if this is a refuas haguf, it must be the first there's a refuas hanefesh also to go with it and to come before it. 
And that recharges our batteries and strengthens our Muna inside. It strengthens us not only physically, but also mentally and in our psyche in terms of our, our sense of Muna and Bitachon. So we're going we're gonna to let that sit there because we're going to see that that is the nature of the whole thing. So some of it is for sure on a mysterious level that we don't understand how this would add health to our body and health to our minds. But already we got a hint as to why this would be good for our bodies, this giving over to Hashem. And we'll also start to get hints as to why this would be good for our emuna and our pitachon and our sense of confidence in God and his presence and his availability to us. And the Torah is from Shemaim. Okay. So one one reason that the Zohar comes to this, apparently, is not just the assumption, but because one thing that we would add to get to the 248 of Shema, this Shema al Tikune, like that, as it was Mitakein, which was that Gemara, right? Mm-hmm. It said, if you say Shema, Likros Kriya Shema as it was established. So that's the, the Zohar is referencing back to that. Well, how it's established in order to get to that 248 is that you say, Kel Melech Ne'eman. Just that, just that focus before you start Shema on Kel, Hashem is the power, all, He's the powerful one. Melech, He is the king. Ne'eman, He's trustworthy. That just, that by itself, that reminder, that's the tikkun of Shema. That is the way that Shema was established to say it is we add these words that put us on, on course and remind us. Okay, so that, this kind of brings us into, um, into this area of the Kel Melech Naman and what they're doing here and why. Um, I'm just thinking what, when we said like the 248 words and the 248 organs and 248 positive mitzvahs, that's the active mitzvahs. That's like the mission and what we're here to do. Um, that's the giving my life happily to Hashem and willingly because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to do these things for Him. Um, there's a kliyakar that we'll get to at the end of Shema. The kliyakar talks about the difference between positive mitzvahs and negative mitzvahs. And that positive not if you don't do it it's it's worse to violate a negative mitzvah to do something you were not supposed to have done than it is to have missed the opportunity to do a positive mitzvah mm-hmm. so i think the way i think maybe i'm trying to think of this rabbi or rabbi tatz who describes it he says rabbi tatz um if your wife says, there's just one thing, like, don't smoke in the house, okay? And the husband comes and he smokes in the house. That's worse than if he doesn't bring her flowers for Shabbos. Right. Okay? Because bringing flowers for Shabbos is a positive thing. You didn't, ha- like, you didn't have to do it, but the fact that you did it shows that you love someone. But, the, but to do both at the same time, right? We should, like, forget the flowers. Just don't smoke in the house. I already told you what is unpleasant to me and the fact that you keep doing it is a worse expression of not loving me than what you offer in bringing me something that will be nice for me right doing something that I don't like 
is worse to the negative, is, it provides more minus than you provide in the positive of doing something I will like. So you have positive mitzvahs and you have negative mitzvahs and doing it, violating a negative mitzvah in a way is worse than missing the opportunity for an ase. When you miss an ase, it's called a bitul ase. You are mevatal it. It's a big loss, but like you didn't do something wrong. You just didn't do something right. Whereas if you are, if you violate, if you do an avera, you did something you were not supposed to do. Okay. However, when you do an avera, this I heard from Rabbi Wallach, when you do an avera, the thing you did bad is not the worst of it. The worst of it is that in that same time or energy or effort or uh, resources that you wasted on the negative thing, you could have done a positive. That you had a certain amount of time in your life and you had a certain amount of money or a certain amount of energy or so, and you used it to violate what Hashem said to do. That's really bad. It's true. And there will be a price to pay because there's a price to pay. But eventually the price gets paid. Avera is not forever. Eventually the price is paid. We, we sort of hope in this world, although we don't really hope to pay the price. We hope something else will happen and absolve us, like we'll do tshuva or something, right? But there's a price to pay. But what you lost was the mitzvah that could have been done with that amount of time or energy or resources or all of them which would have been forever. It's like if you went out to eat and you said, you know, I'm going to go to a really expensive restaurant. And you use a bunch of money. And, the, I mean, the meal's going to be over. But, okay, you enjoyed it or whatever. The meal's going to be over. And then you find out, you know, when you're leaving the restaurant, somebody walks over to you and says, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe this, but there's this diamond worth $2 million dollars. And you can get it for 200 because there was a typo and it's on Dan's deals. Right? To be a little extreme. And you don't have $200 because you just spent it buying a really good steak. So it's true that maybe you wasted the money. I don't want to comment like, you know, that you should have bought the steak or shouldn't have bought the steak. But whatever. Let's say your doctor told you not to eat steak. Right? You, you, you put the money into something empty. So it's lost. It's a waste. Fine. But the real loss is what you could have done with it. Mm -hmm. Then you're really kicking yourself. Like, oh my gosh, now today I don't have $200. It doesn't matter what I'll have tomorrow or the next day. For this moment, that money's gone. And look at the lost opportunity, right? And this is called opportunity cost. It's like a cosmic opportunity cost. It's a cosmic opportunity cost. So on the one hand, violating a negative of era is worse than missing out on doing a positive. But really, it's not that we're here in life to not do the negatives. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not supposed to do the negatives, but that's like almost beside the point. What we're here for is what we do do and what we do build and what we do create. It's not all about the negatives. It's about what we are doing. That really is our focus. So yes, we have to not do what's wrong. By the way, the whole time you're doing what's wrong, you are not doing what you could be doing. So we don't know the scale of mitzvahs. We don't. 
But the Kleaker is saying, like, don't miss. Don't miss your whole life. Right? So this idea of these three words, and that's the Mesira Snefesh. That's the perfection of the Karban. We're not even really doing tshuva over here. Right? But by focusing 100% into putting, putting all of ourselves into Shema, we achieve a type of perfection. That it isn't the tshuva. But like, really, if we would do everything we're meant to do, like how much time would we have to do anything wrong? Not so much. But, but also, if, if our focus is to be an Evan Hashem, Hmm. then we want to take her direction yeah. and follow that direction. That's right. It's not just about not getting caught, right? right? It's about, I want to do. I want to be a giver. I want to do something for God. Right. I want to be, right? Okay. So, this Kel Melech Ne'eman that we say before Shema. First of all, and you probably know this, that it's an acronym for Amen, or the opposite. It's spelled out from the acronym of Amen. Okay, so Aleph is Kale, Melech, Mem, Ne'eman, Nun. It spells Amen. All right. Oh, I got to show you something very interesting. Did I put it in here? I didn't put it in. I thought, oh, that's really funny. I thought I had zero. Stop. So confusing. All right, well, I made a copy of it here. If you look at the Rehearse Sitter, which I happened to look in because I was looking for something, and then I was so astonished by this, <coughs> that I called Rabbi Bondi because his family are Hirsch people physically and spiritually. Right? So I'm looking here in Shema and I'm looking at the introduction. And in Ahava Rabbah, which introduces us and leads us into Shema, um, Rav Hirsch mentions that when we say, Ba'avur avusenu shebotchu b'cha, for the sake of our forefathers who, had, who trusted you, he says, before, during, and after the revelation of the law of God, so before Matan Torah, during Matan Torah, after Matan Torah, our fathers had to learn to trust in God and to give practical evidence of their trust, first in Egypt, then during their wandering through the wilderness. Such trust in God is an absolute necessity if we are to overcome the many trials posed to us as we strive to fulfill the requirements of God's law. I'm going to come back to this statement. But looking at this, I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. What Rav Hirsch is saying then is that this Avarabba before Shema, and it sounded like something that's calling you. You okay? I'm well. Oh, okay. Is that like, uh oh? Did you need him? No. Okay. Not unless he needs that, uh, him. The Ahavarabah before Shema, among other things, is somehow has to do with our emuna and bitachon. That that's what has to happen before Shema. Before we fulfill the requirements of God's law, which will be Shema, we have to first have some kind of avos-like, avos-style emuna, and more than emuna, emuna and bitachon. Bitachon is the practical, what do you call it? Practical implementation, practical evidence of trust. Meaning trust that affects your behavior is bitachon. Okay? So they're not different from each other per se, but emunah is what happens inside your head and heart, and bitachon is what happens with your hands. All right. And then, okay, so that's interesting. In other words, you have to do that first, then you're ready for Shema. And then I looked at the sitter. 
Look at this sitter. This is a Yekish sitter. This is a Rav Hirsch sitter. Because I was looking for something on Shema. And I look at the Shema, and it doesn't say Kel Melech Naman. I'm like, that's weird, right? So I turned back the page. I thought, I don't know, maybe it's like formatted, right? It is on the previous page. But look at how it's on the previous page. Do you see it? Yeah. Okay. What does it look like? I was see if you have the same impression I had. It looks like Amain. Right. I mean, it is Amain because yeah. it's Kel Melech right. But we think of Kel Melech as the introduction to Shema. And over here, the, Rav Hirsch arranged the, the sitter. Yeah. This sitter, he arranged it. It's right? Closing. It's serving as the closing of Ava Rabba. Okay, so it's very interesting. Rabbi Bondi was like, yep, that's what it is. Okay, and, in, and there's like a different custom. They don't exactly say Kel Melech They say Amen out loud so to be the Kel Melech Yeah, but, but I'm looking at the sitter, and it's pretty clear that this Kel Melech is not just introducing Shema. It's saying Amen to the previous rabbi. It's not just cute that Kel Melech spells Amen. Kel Melech is Amen. Not only that, when you say Amen, you're saying Kel Melech Okay, these are this is like the long form and the short form of the same thing. Okay, so what is Amen then? Then now we're like, wait a minute, we better take a step back and understand what is Amen about. Amen means I assert the truth of the previous statement. That's how it's used in English. Amen, right? <laughs> I assert so the it's truth the of the previous statement. Of the previous. Right. Well, it's kind of both. Previous. It's both. Said. It's both because it's part of Shema, right. right? We see the Gemara is counting it as the three words that are right. part of Shema. Right. But we also see that, in a way, it's part of Shema by virtue of what it accomplished before you said Shema. But isn't it kind of different? Like, you don't usually say Amen to your own bracha when you're davening by yourself. That's true. The example that comes to mind is Uvene Yerushalayim in benching. Right, right. Which is always a little bizarre. And you hear people who are very careful with how they daven. They have a little pause. They say, Bone Varacham of Yerushalayim. Amen. But then I can. Understand. But you are saying amen to your own bracha, though. Then I can understand why you would say kel melech Like that's. A, I like that bit. point. Then you're not actually saying amen to your bracha, yeah, which would have this whole halachic. Like, I like that. That's really. I don't know if you're right, but it sounds good. Okay. I, I don't yeah, know. No. Like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds to me like like it make like but that it would could make be sense it. That he did it. Yeah. Because like that. that you're not saying amen to that bracha, and then mm-hmm. you're saying amen this way. But also, it's saying, you know, who's you're saying so that's something that you have to acknowledge and the way we acknowledge it maybe is by saying but then when you're going into Shema because you have to have that singular focus so if you're infused with all that love and that care that gives you a, maybe a better focus well when you're very when you have a really good Avaraba even though you could be Yotze Shema without it right you can't right. But when you have an amazing avarabba, the ohavtah just comes out naturally, because when you feel loved, this is like we all, like the way to build a sense of avas Hashem, is you work on rem- trying to notice as much as possible God's love for you, because when you feel loved, it does naturally cause you to want to love back. So the more your avarabba feels full with God's love, the more you feel like you're gonna just spill back out with love. That's for sure. Um, I, there, there's another connection of the Kel Melch over here that I think I hope I'll remember to say it in light of what you just said but we'll see <laughs> okay, it may turn out to be next week's share 
because it's one worth spending a little bit of time on. It's very, very beautiful. And that's more what the handout is about. Okay, so number one, Amain is asserting the truth of the previous statement. That is so. Okay, so you can hear over there, right, practical evidence of trust, right, is this kind of like, I'm asserting that this is the truth. Trust is, I know this to be true. We'll get to that also. Number two, Amen is a prayer. Right. It's a tefillah, right? That may the previously stated will be fulfilled. It's like ditto, isn't it? Well, that would be if I'm saying I'm asserting. It's I think well the way that Rush Limbaugh uses it, I suppose it's ditto, right? Which Rush means Limbaugh. oh, well, when I was like you know yeah, many yeah. many years ago, like 18, right? So the, he had this thing of dittos. So people don't call and just say oh you're so wonderful, you're so great, I agree with everything you say. Just say ditto. But I don't think, because ditto means same thing as before, right? Second verse, same as the first. Like, uh-huh. it means repeat it again. But when I'm asserting that what was said before is true, that would be like if I say, no, I'm sure she never could have done that thing, or I'm sure you could trust her to take care of it. And the next person says, absolutely, you can. It, it's more than just repeating it. It's affirming it and strengthening it. And the second usage is that it's a prayer. So if I say, if, if I made a bracha and I said, may it be your will, Hashem, that Fekel Abbas Gitzel should have a refuah shalema, refuah sanefesh and refuah zaguf, and you say, amen, right? So now you're not just saying it is, right? You can't say it is true because I'm saying may it be true. So it, rather than affirming that it, you know it to be true, you're affirming that you also, Dalvin, that that should be the truth. So there's these two senses of amen. Sometimes they coincide and you actually think both of them and sometimes not. Okay. The word amen means, it is like the word imun. Also heard this from Rabbi Orlick. Imun means exercise or practice. Okay. So it's an action that builds fluency. So repeating something to make it stronger. So that's the affirmation aspect or the prayerful aspect. It also is a building of expertise within us. So this idea that saying will, is the missing piece that Shema would be a refuah and because what you're doing is you're creating strength. You're creating expertise, omenut is expertise, right? And Uman is an expert craftsman of some sort. They make it look, Rabbi Orlok says, they make it look easy. It's not easy. It's because they've done it so many times over and over and over again that now they can do a beautiful job and make it look easy. Okay. The root of all of that is aim, mother. Because the mother is the first one you trust to take care of you. And that is through the constancy of it. That, you know, there's a reason you can't feed babies once a day and have them be all tanked up for the rest of the day. Okay, we got to feed them every three hours, it says officially in books, but we all know in real life, they don't eat really every three hours for a while. At first, it's like every hour and a half, every two hours, whatever, right? But there's something that you build with doing it over and over and over again. So one thing you build is that baby learns from a minute after it's born. When I cry out, there's somebody listening to me who will take care of me. 
That's basically the first lesson a baby starts learning. And we spend our whole lives trying to keep learning that lesson. I cry out and somebody will listen to me and take care of me. That's really what the lesson is. Okay, aim is the root of emuna. We tend to translate the word emuna in accordance with the non-Jewish world around us. <coughs> and unfortunately, the non-Jewish world around us is Christian, well, for better or for worse, right? Which is a religion that doesn't make sense in terms of the intellect, because um, it isn't true, but okay. Right? Have you ever seen Permission to Believe? from Rabbi Kellerman. Mm -hmm. In the back of Permission to Believe, he has like an appendix where he um, shares an exchange he wrote to the Vatican to ask them how do they understand certain questions in Catholic theology. And he got an answer back from the official spokesperson of the Vatican saying things like, well, we don't actually think it means it for real, it's like a story to make you feel a certain way or like I mean because like anyone who's intellectual couldn't possibly like whatever anyway right we don't have to like argue about Christianity but it's not based on intellectually anything making sense it's a polemical argument it's yeah it's about faith and that is in fact the emphasis of Christianity if you believe in this God right. then he'll save you and if you don't you won't and we don't really care if it makes sense or not because otherwise you're damned to hell and that's all right like there's no the more you believe and in fact in the culture that is surrounding us blind faith is valued faith that is based on not having anything to base it on is valued and treasured okay that's not the definition of emuna, which is why I try really hard not to use the word faith when I translate emuna, because it, it's like we said with malachim and angels, you use the word angel and you get fat babies flying around. So that's, no, right? The word faith is a bad translation for emuna, because faith in our society means blind faith. Emuna means trust. Okay, what is trust? Trust is based on somebody having demonstrated that they're trustworthy to you. All right, so where does that come from? Um, Rav Hirsch in Lech Lecha, I'm going to switch the order of these here, and we'll, we'll end with that, and then we'll just continue next week in Ritz Hashem. Um, I'm going to have to reorganize my notes to make that happen, but that's okay. Rav Hirsch in Lech Lecha says, so this past week, um, he, he credits with the Brisbane Abbasarim he credits Avram and says, Ve'he'emin b'Hashem, which if you turn that into the usual translation would mean he believed in God. He, they were just having a conversation, right? It doesn't make sense for me to say, I believe in Sarah Kaufman. That makes no sense at all. I mean, it does, I suppose, if you mean, I believe in you. That's not, okay. It doesn't, she's here. I'm looking at you. I don't have to have faith that you exist. Right? And that was considered for him a righteousness. Oh my goodness, if God talks to me, I also could believe in him. And then does that make me righteous? Okay. The Rosh says, no, no, we, we're missing the point here. He'amin, he translates, he placed his whole confidence in God. He trusted God. He trusted him. God said, 
I'm going to make you have many children. Yeah, it's been a hundred years and you haven't had any children, but, or you had one, right? Your wife hasn't had kids, but I'm gonna give you so many kids. It's like a little late start in life. I'm gonna give you so many kids you can't even count them. And you're gonna get the whole land of Israel. And, right, the Hamim, he absolutely trusted that, okay? And that will lead us next week into this discussion of Amen and how it relates to Shema. So Vehemin Basham then is sorry placing full confidence, setting our whole theoretical and practical hold, our guidance, our strength, our firmness in God. And then he gives various examples, some of which we already mentioned. Amen means not simply being firm but making firm, giving a firm shape and form and direction to indefinite material. So strengthening it. That's why the word amen asserts and strengthens what came before. Hamin Basham is accordingly the whole formation of your life. Strengthening and affirming and establishing and confirming yourself. A little dark. To give. <laughs> um, sorry. Thank you. Sorry about that. I would have gotten up if I wasn't losing my place right here. Our strength and firmness in God. The whole formation of your life, culture, education, direction of all your being and efforts in God. So emuna is a process of strengthening and affirming all of the things you do, your life, your culture, your education, and making that centered around Hashem. Leaving yourself entirely to Him. Giving yourself up as plastic material to be molded by God. In short, to refer yourself and all you have entirely to God. The ultimate end of that process of emuna, being a process of entrusting yourself to God, because you trust Him so completely. Right, you know the remember the old leave the driving to us in Israel. It's tov shah hegeh biyad eged or something like that. It's a good thing the steering wheel's in eged's hands, right? In other words, God is a better driver than I am. So if it's really serious, I'd rather let him drive. I may think I know what I want or need or should do or have, but I wish to refer that decision to God because he knows better than I do. He's a better driver. I entrust myself to him because I trust him, because he is trustworthy. The process of building that feeling is emuna, and the result it brings you to is that you are giving yourself up soft as plastic material, right? Formable material to God. This is the Messiris Nefesh of Shema that we introduce with Kael Melech Ne'eman, which not only spells out Amen, but says Hashem is Ne'eman, meaning it's the full expression of the word Amen. It's God is to be trusted. He is Ne'eman. He's to be trusted. Therefore, Amen, I trust him. Right? It's, it's, you're saying it more explicitly. And that says, therefore, Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Echad, I am in your hands. All my life, all my soul, all my possessions, all my effort, it's for you. 
That's what it's, that is my mission, but it also gives me that willingness and desire to put myself into his hands. To respond to a spoken sentence with amen does not only mean to declare it to be true, but to give yourself up to the truth expressed in the sentence, to make it your own, to vow to allow yourself to be guided by it. It's that, that's where it turns into what we might call bitachon. Bitachon is emuna in practice. When your actions are different because of your emuna, we might call that bitachon, okay? Amen doesn't refer to the contents of the pronouncement, but to the person who hears and adopts it. So he's saying that when you say amen, it doesn't mean what the contents, it's me who's trusting that, who's affirming that. MS itself is not only truth in theory, it is truth in practice and in deed, loyalty and faithfulness. He's saying emuna, amen, and MS are two flavors of the same thing. They're both the root word aim. It's the same root. One is MS, it's truth. Amen asserts that it is true. Yeah? Okay. It kind of reminds so, me of what you talk about, like the, the steering of the car and yes. the motor. Yeah, it's kind exactly like what it that, is. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's a good model for it, even though it's not an inspiring yeah, model right. for it. Okay, so I'm going to stop here. Also, when you talked about the plasticity. Isn't that awesome? Us, I was thinking of the Rosh Hashanah Avenue where we say that we are the Homer, the Yasa mm-hmm. and all the different things, like at Hashem's will, he forms it, at Hashem's will, he destroys it, at Hashem's will, he creates, and then that's he right. transforms it. That's right. And that's so, joyous. That's, mm-hmm. it, is it scary? I suppose, but it's scary in the best possible way. Ultimately, you get past the Yerushalayim, you even come, not past it, be even on top of Yerushalayim, comes this level of Ahava, of Shema. And that is something we rejoice in. Because when things are scary, there's nothing that feels better. Life can be really scary. There's nothing that feels better than knowing you're in God's hands. No matter how tightly he's squeezing, you're in them. Because there is not a safer place to be or feel that you are. And that's exciting. Can I give this to you? Yes. Yeah. I'll have you next week in Mitzvah. It's so good to see you.